Hello everyone. Welcome to the Everyday Wellness Podcast with your host, Chrissy Regan. Join me as I catch up with Brendan Larkham and talk about his journey from rebel to role model, inmate to marathoner, and how he's overcome all his obstacles in life to be a role model and support the health and well-being of young people. I'm delighted to introduce you to Brendan Larkham. Hi everyone, I'm joined today by my new friend Brendan Larkham who's uh, in Cairns. Hi Brendan, how are you? I'm good thanks, how are you? Good, I'm really um, happy and excited to talk with you today to share a little bit about who you are and what you do to um, help inspire young men in your community and I've entitled this uh, interview Rebel to Role Model but we'll go into that a bit more in detail. And I'm going to embarrass you a little bit first because I want to say some nice stuff about you. So I hope you've got your makeup on. Uh, <laughs> so I think meeting you uh, has been one of the highlights of my year so far. So thank you for that. And why I feel like that is this year I've been a, I've been a bit feeling a bit jaded about um, superficialness of things, uh, inauthenticity of um, people and influencers and so on and so forth so when you meet genuinely helpful humble hard-working people who are doing a lot of good to help others I feel genuinely inspired so I want to say thank you for that you're welcome thank you so we met uh, in June in Mackay uh, at the Indigenous Marathon Foundation National um, Championships and you'd uh, travel to Mackay with, uh, I think, 10 boys from AFL House in um, Cairns, that's right? Uh, four. Four, uh, four that came with you and then four that came separately, right? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. yeah. so um, tell us a little bit about you, um, about your job and about what you do up in Cairns, please. Uh, my life now is a single father with three kids. Um, I work at AFL Cape York House, uh, Boys House, which is is a boarding facility for for young Indigenous uh, men to come and do their high school in in Cairns here. Um, so they come down from community all the way up through the Torres Strait over to NT, and they live and go to school. So they pretty they're pretty much here most of the year so they, they do spend a lot of time here um we we do a lot there at the house for the boys um a lot of little things that people wouldn't know about um little wins little losses um pretty much we are sort of like mentors um but we we pretty much do whatever they need for from us to get them through schooling. Mm -hmm. um, some, some staff go a bit above and beyond the role mm -hmm. um, to, to teach them life skills, I think. Yes. Um, because you can sort of just sit there and babysit mm -hmm. and, do, and do nothing, really. Or you can, um, you can have yarns with them and have conversations with them that not not many people do mm. um, the com the uncomfortable conversations or or the conversations that that men don't really have with mm. each other. Yeah, and I think to create change, we need to have the, them conversations. Yes. Uh, so when we met in Mackay, um, Robert De Costello obviously flew more than a hundred people from around Australia to Mackay as part of the. Indigenous Marathon Foundation National Championships. And on the first evening, we had a welcome evening and I was standing at the back of the room and this um, young black boy was standing next to me and he looked at me and he said, where are you from? And I said, uh, I'm from Townsville. And he said, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Bamiga. And his face just exploded with joy. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. We had this really sweet moment. And then obviously that was the first time I'd met him. And then I got to talk to him quite a bit over the weekend, talked to quite a few of the boys that um, came with you and, you know, just really to share in some of that stuff that you spoke about too, because I travelled to Mackay with four young people from um, Townsville. 
they are working, so they're in professional capacities, but, you know, they also admit to having challenges in their life. And so it was good to be able to spend some time in that role model capacity, but also in that life skills mentoring capacity, which I'm assuming you're spending a lot of your days in life at the moment, would you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go from work and I come home to similar sort of uh, situation with my boys. Yeah, so you're a single dad of three boys, 14, 13 and 9. Tell me a bit about that. Um, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, it never gets easy. Uh, someone said to me a couple of years ago, it's just different types of hard. Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll never get easy. Yeah. Because of, well, I think it's because of that, because we care that, and it's that emotional connection. It's, yeah, I just want them to get, have more than I, I did. Or I, I had enough, I think, but I just didn't have anyone having the conversations yeah. that I needed to have mm -hmm. and sort of believing in myself that, that I can be more than what, what, what I was seeing around me at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, the boys, I've had the boys for nearly three years now, full time. Mm -hmm. uh, I got, I left rehab and pretty much I got the boys out of, um, they were in under child safety. Mm -hmm foster care mm -hmm. and yeah jumped through the hoops that that I had to to prove I was a responsible parent and and I did that as quick as possible because I didn't want them in foster care it was um something I, I would never want my, any any kids to be in but again that emotional connection to my kids I had to get them out of there as quick as possible um Again, it's been a hard road trying to to do to concentrate on my my recovery from from drug addiction and and alcohol abuse and and father and mentor three kids at the same time. Mm. It, it's definitely definitely a huge challenge. Mm. And that's where running came in as a, a relief valve, I would call it, to to escape from life reassess, come back, you're happy after a run, as everyone knows. Yeah. Endorphins and that, that it creates. And, yeah, um, the kids send me off on runs sometimes. Mm -hmm. So they can see when, when Dad's getting a bit stressed and they're like, I'll just go for a run, Dad. Yes. Um, well, that's nice. So yeah. tell me a bit about your youth and, you know, what what went wrong for you and what went right for you. Um, I, like I said earlier, like I, when I look at, I like to look at the, the bigger picture mm -hmm. and there's, I don't, I've, I see people, I've seen and met people out there through my life that have had it a lot worse than I have. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I had a bed to sleep on. I got fed every night. Mm -hmm. I got sent to school mm -hmm. uh, with, with lunch every day. Mm -hmm. um, so the things that went right were those things because that's instilled in me mm -hmm. dinner for your kids every night mm -hmm. you need to send your kids to school um, there was um, there was domestic violence early in my childhood um, which I witnessed a lot of and I think I think that's where my problems started mm -hmm. and sort of grew up one of one of five kids and eventually one of seven. Um, so big family. I, I would I would say maybe not enough attention mm -hmm. as I needed. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> schooling and 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 having yarns about problems I was having, I didn't couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. just didn't talk about it and um, just thought that's the way uh, life sort of was and then I went up through into school looking for that connection or belonging mm -hmm. and found that pretty quickly through drug use 
mm-hmm. uh, started at took a few beers and um, marijuana mm-hmm. um, or yandy as we like to call it and a lot of those boys I hung around with were in a similar position to what I was in mm-hmm. even though we didn't speak about it we knew we could sort of relate to each other in ways we didn't talk about it but we we had each other yeah and um that we grew up like that up into our teenage years and and in that on the Gold Coast where I grew up there's a lot of drugs and there's a lot of violence a lot of gangs um and sort of in that lifestyle things just progressed pretty quickly downhill Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned um, that you spent some time in prison how long was that I did three months the first time and three months the second time so I didn't do that long mm-hmm. um, it was only it was it was early earlier on and I was sort of stealing cars and stealing property from people and mm-hmm. driving um, so how like how old were you how old were you then 19 mm-hmm. and I yeah, it's like sort of that circle of, like the circle of people I hang around with. We were trying to be like the gangsters we've seen on TV over in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so we formed a gang. We started to sell drugs. We started to to fight other gangs, or we wanted that. We wanted to be known as the toughest group in 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 the town. Mm-hmm. And everyone else did too, so mm. it was a it, it was a recipe for disaster, sort mm. of. Yes. But yeah, just um, I think it really started to hit home when we started having our own children. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I I knew what I was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. But the the pull for the drug was was so strong, um, especially when I got onto speed and and ecstasy and things like that. And later on, ice came into the scene, and, and mm-hmm. that just destroyed everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I was thinking about it the other day, and I actually some of the things that I would I had to witness. I needed to be drunk or, or stoned or high to, to be able to sit in that mm-hmm. without doing anything or, mm-hmm. or feeling anything mm-hmm. because, you know, like it was, it was there were some terrible things mm-hmm. um, that I'm not proud of, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though it, so at times it wasn't me that did it, I sat back and I didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. So somewhere, um, somewhere inside you had a conscience, conscience that was telling you that you were on oh, the yeah. right path. Yeah, it was screaming. And what was the turning point then? Um, there was a lot of turning points in my life. Um, that, that When I actually really decided to make that change, I it was for my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she was under a lot of stress watching what <laughs> I was doing. Um, often told me she's waiting for phone calls to tell 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 her that I'm dead or I'm in prison or, or I'm in hospital, like because that's what she was getting mm-hmm. was happening. Um, and so yeah, I, I wanted to make her feel all right, mm-hmm. make her think I was all right, mm-hmm. just so so just to take the stress off off mum. So I went into rehab and, you know, and it was, and even though I didn't know it at the time, I learned, I learned, I learned a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, I only lasted six weeks out of a 12-week program the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, my cousin of mine passed away on the Gold Coast and I, yeah, I, I couldn't, it was a cousin I was really close to. So I think I lasted two days and I just walked out the gate, got on the plane and went back to, to the Gold Coast for his funeral. Mm-hmm. And lapsed for a couple of weeks. Um, went back to rehab again because 
that six weeks I was sober mm-hmm. and I got to feel something I never felt before. Mm-hmm. What was that? Just clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, like I was normal. Yeah. Not normal, but I was, yeah, just a different, different life that I never felt before. And how old were um, the children then? Uh, they were would have been around 10, mm-hmm. 10, 9 and 8, mm-hmm. or 10, 9, 6. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still living with their mother at the time and I, I wasn't really having all that much contact with them because of my drug and alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. I would prefer not to be around them mm-hmm. like I was. Mm-hmm. So it was a double-edged sword. Um, mm-hmm. People would say, why don't you go see your kids? And I said, I don't want them to see me like this. Mm-hmm. I would prefer they don't see me mm-hmm. like I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I would get in that six weeks, the first thing I wanted to do was see my kids. Mm-hmm. And because I was, wasn't was like I was. Yes. Um, so I spent a lot of time in that six. Every, every weekend I would apply for a weekend visit to go and see the boys. Mm-hmm. And, after a while, they, they let me, but, um, yeah, so I went back in twice. I went three times all up into rehab. I went the second time because I didn't finish the first time, but I was still mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went on a two-year bender after that, mm-hmm. after the second rehab, um, a pretty full-on bender where there was a suicide attempt in there. There was – I was homeless for about 12 months, um, full-blown ice addict. I was injecting. Um, it was most of it's a blur. Was that like a steady decline or a rapid decline? What was the catalyst? Uh, it was pretty rapid that time. Like that was when I sort of give up on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really get, gave up and mm-hmm. I disassociated. I was completely alone. Uh, my family had disowned me at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was nowhere to run when things crumbled. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was, ended up homeless. And I would just wake up, go straight to the bottle shop, get skull a couple of drinks, and then go to the dealer to get, to get my ice. Mm-hmm. And then it, it was just the same old process over and over, week after week. Mm-hmm. And that went on for two years and I was actually, where I was staying at the time wasn't far from my kid's house. Mm-hmm. So there was always that pull mm-hmm. for the boy um, because they, they were all I had. The, the only good thing in my life was that them three boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, there was days that I actually sat and could see them playing in their yard, mm-hmm. but they couldn't see me. Mm-hmm. So I would I'd be sitting there having a couple of sit there with a six pack and mm-hmm. watch the boys play on their trampoline at their mum's place mm-hmm. from from a hundred meters away. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even know I was there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's you know like and then I'd walk away from that, that and go and sit where I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm crying and and it was. Um, It was a hard. It was a hard time, mm. and I just woke up one morning and I was like, I, "Sorry." Take your time. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's really personal, but it's interesting, isn't it, that you had the pull to be there, but you weren't sure how to be there because you weren't comfortable sitting in your emotions either. No, I didn't know how to. Um, and I woke up one morning and, and I had like a half a bottle of wine. I'm trying to always have something there as soon as I woke up just to, to get that instant numb. Mm-hmm. And I woke up and I'm looking at the, the, the sun's shining on the bottle mm-hmm. and... I just looked up and I just, I don't know, yeah, I can't really explain what it was, but I 
I just all I could think of was those six weeks in that first rehab mm-hmm. and how good that felt mm-hmm. um, to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got up and I thought, I've, I've got to, I want to live. I don't want to die. I just mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I walked to that rehab. It's probably a two-hour walk. It felt like five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like I was there. Mm-hmm. I was at the gate, walked in. The lady there, Sharon, um, knew me from the two two rehabs I'd already done. Um, and I just broke down and she could see that I was in a bad way and she said, we don't normally do this, but I'm going to get you in in the next few days. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to do differently? She said, I said, everything. Mm-hmm. I'll do whatever it takes mm-hmm. because I, this is it. I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly what I did. Um, I went away for a few days. Um, I didn't use, but I drank. Uh, came in. I told them I was sober, but I was half drunk when I walked in there with all my gear, which wasn't a, which wasn't much. I think I had two Coles bags, mm-hmm. and, and just like nothing really, and no teeth, skinny as, just looked like the living dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so your teeth had fallen out. Yeah, I lost my teeth when I was 17 in a fight and I would get, I got crowns put in and then they'd get punched out and then I got false teeth and they'd get punched out mm-hmm. or I'd lose them drunk or mm-hmm. yeah, I've lost a lot of false teeth um, mm-hmm. over the years. But without them, I was really self-conscious or insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't smile, didn't talk. I had my head down all the time. Um, the first six weeks of that rehab was difficult for me because I was happy, but I couldn't smile. Mm-hmm. And because I, I'd made a decision that third attempt that this was it, mm-hmm. I was going to do whatever it took. Mm-hmm. Like that old life was gone. And people noticed. Um, the other, a lot of the other residents were struggling in their their recoveries. Um, they would ask me what I was doing that they weren't. And mm-hmm. I said, I, I wake up and I run. Mm-hmm. I start my day with a run. I finish it with a run. I'm in the gym. I'm doing the courses. I'm listening. I'm trying. Whatever the support workers would mention to me, I would mm-hmm. do it. And had anyone mentioned running to you before? You started that on your own. Uh, there was one support worker in there that, he just give me a list of things. Mm-hmm. I don't. He wasn't a runner, but running was on the list mm-hmm. of like coping strategies. Mm-hmm. And so I went out. I think that was like a week, the first week of the rehab. Mm-hmm. Like I said, whatever I tried everything on that list. Mm-hmm. What was some reading, of the other? What was some of the other things? Uh, reading, journaling, meditation, running. Um, AA, that, like the alcohol anonymous groups, um, sort of things like that, and I tried them all, mm-hmm. um, and I think all of them had a place in recovery. Yes, because run, I can't run all the time. Yes, yes, so I can start my day running, and it sets me on the right path, or I can finish it. And by the end of it, I would run at the end of the day because I wanted it was better to finish on a on a real good high. Yes. Um, but yeah, the AA meeting helped. How many How many years ago was that? Now, sorry. Um, this October it'll be October the ninth. It'll be four years. And so, how many marathons have you done in the last four years? Um, seven. Wow. Seven. Seven marathons in four years. Yeah, seven marathons in two years. In two years. And how many half marathons? Uh, I've done about four, I think. So we had the joy of passing each other during the Gold Coast Marathon. 
And I told you recently when I saw you face to face that as I passed you, because you passed me, you are about an hour quicker than me, probably faster. So I was running past the 12k mark and you were coming back this way. And I had said, hey, brother, and we connected hands and I felt your spirit reverberate through my body and I was just running going, yay! <laughs> it was really fun. No, um, I remember. You remember? Yeah. And then you came down to Townsville recently and we both did the half marathon. So we got to high five about three times during the race, which was good for me as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to struggle a bit because I've had this lingering cough, which is not leaving my body too quickly. Yeah. So, that's really cool. So you're inspiring other people with your running. I want to, I sent you this um, message uh, yesterday. So this is um, Rob D. Costella. He's just launched a new video about a project that he's launched for the 28th of August. And you're in that picture behind him. And I sent you this and it says, um, when I'm running, I'm most free. Nothing else compares. If nothing else goes right during the day, I know during my run, I'm in full control of the outcome and I'm going to feel free. That's what running gives me, freedom. Yeah. And if you've started to impart that to the boys at um, AFL House too, haven't you? Oh, definitely, yeah. That's, that's a big part of what I, when I yarn to the boys, it's not about how fast you run or, or how, how fit you are, it's, for me, running was strictly mental health. Mm -hmm. And especially with them boys coming from, from community, from remote communities into a city, um, everything's different here. The language that I, English is like their sixth language. Mm -hmm. um, then they've got to go to school and listen to English spoke, speaking teachers, teaching them things that they got no idea about. Yes. Um, come, get, come, coming back to the house. The house has got structure. Yes. So they they got to get used to that structure. Um, they got to do tutoring again because of that. Because they they can't the sort of the barrier with the communication. They they're finding it hard. Or some of the some of the boys are fine, but some of the boys are finding it hard to learn what what they need to learn. So we have to do, they have to do tutoring after school. Um, and they're being watched all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, so and that's how I see it. And because I've been in those sort of situations through rehabs and, and, and prison, where they're being watched all the time, that mm. can get heavy. Yeah, and I guess it's very mentally and emotionally draining for them too, you know, that have mental fatigue at the end of every day and then they feel emotionally drained because they're away from their family. Yeah, like the list goes on. Yeah. And so I've, I've sort of told them, and I, and I talk openly about my past with them, um, just so they know that if things do go wrong, you can change. Yeah. What's the reaction that they generally give you when you tell them you're homeless and you're a drug addict and in prison? What do they say? They can't sort of. It's hard. Was hard for them to believe it at first mm -hmm. because of the way I talk and, and hold myself now, mm -hmm. and, and with running and and all and just all the things that I do in life now that doesn't fit that story. Yes. Um, so I did a I did a little information session not long ago with them about the effects of drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and through my experiences and I had pictures up of, of me back in the day. Oh wow. And mm -hmm. yeah that's that's when it hit home. That's when they started to realise oh he's not just saying this. Mm -hmm. He lived it. Yes. And the pictures are on the wall where they could just relate to straight away so I was watching their faces and they're like wow like mm -hmm. and some of them come up after and said I can't believe that was you like mm -hmm. it doesn't look like you yes and and I said and, that, and I said that's th th there you go like you can you don't have to be that person yes 
Um, do you recognise yourself though when you're sharing those pictures? Do you recognise that person? I do. Um, I don't think. I don't remember. It's hard to sit in how I felt, but the, at that in the past. Yeah. When I look at them pictures, it takes me straight back. Mm, okay. Um, smells take me straight back. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. You won't ever see me sitting in a pub because the smell is. It's. I don't feel like I need to drink, but it takes. I start remembering things I don't want to. I want to forget. Yes. Um. So. I hope yeah. you don't mind, but I want to share um a personal conversation between the pair of us recently. You wrote something to me which is really pertinent, given that. Paul Green took his life, obviously, recently. And, you know, society would look at Paul Green, successful rugby league player, successful coach, successful prominent person, and say, you know, well, he's a strong person. Why did he need to do that? You know, he was his public persona was one of success and one of strength, et cetera. And, you know, you said to me that I'm not as strong as people think. I don't have it all together. Every day is a battle. And yeah. so for, for those young boys who are looking at you as a pillar of strength or a role model, but you feeling that you need, you're struggling to hold things together, you know, how, what do you say to them or what do you say to yourself? Um, I, I've, I've actually mentioned that to the boys uh, in, that, in that information session mm -hmm. um, because one of, the other, one of the other uncles actually said, I, I told him one day, I said, oh, look, I'm struggling today. Um, can you cover my shift? Mm -hmm. uh, that was just anxiety. I just did, couldn't leave the house that day but for, for <coughs> a few reasons. But he said, oh, you don't look, what do you mean? Like, you've got it all together. And I said, nah, nah I don't. I just don't go out of my way to tell everyone my, my personal problems. Yes. Um, and... It, and it's private and I don't, you know, I don't, I actually don't like to go out and talk negative about myself to people. It sort of ruins their day as well. Yes. Yeah, you know, people don't like, want to know how you really are, right? Yeah. So, so you just say, oh, yeah, I'm fine, thanks, how are you? <laughs> yeah. So, and I, so I don't like to put my stress on anybody, but, um, but it was good just to let them know. And then I, I said it in the meeting, uh, in that session with the boys, I said, you might see me as a strong person looking after my kids and I've got it all together. I said, it's far from the truth. Yes. Some days I'm in the shower, in a cold shower, mm -hmm. for half an hour wondering how am I going to do this? Like, yeah. How do I keep doing this? What do I do now? Um, who do I talk to? What can I say? Um, I've got a long way to go, yeah. And the running is 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 an escape. Mm. So it's a it's anywhere from a half an hour to an hour to my long runs go for two three hours mm. of, of of freedom from from the pressure of life. Mm. Everybody, I think, is going through that. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about it. Yeah. So well, it's it's interesting because we know that it takes a village to raise a child, right? Yeah. But it also takes a village to nourish and sustain a healthy adult. And oh, you definitely. just mentioned that you're private. You don't want to put your problems on people. You keep things to yourself. So therefore, you're not enabling a village to support you. You're keeping your worries, concerns, feelings to yourself. I think what's not talked about for adults especially when you've got some challenges with anxiety or depression or whatever is, and even just, you know, I find as a busy working mum, things become overwhelming. You think, oh, I don't feel like doing this today, you know? Um, and it's the case of like, how do you create a, a foundation of support which best enables you to be healthy, you know, mentally as well as emotionally and physically too? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You told me about a conversation you had with Rob DiCostello where you said to him that you were feeling guilty for spending time running and not spending time with your boys. And what was his advice to you? Uh, he told me that what I was doing was more powerful than 
than words. Uh, and he said, you're teaching your kids how to achieve something <coughs> that means something to you through hard work, dedication, consistency, self-discipline. He said, the lessons you get you teaching without even speaking, uh, it's, it's huge. And he said, he watched his old man do the same thing. And it's what helped him to become who he was as, as, a, as a person mm. and a runner. Um, so, and, and I do, I do feel guilty sometimes, not guilty, just is there more I could be doing for the boys mm -hmm. to better their lives? Mm -hmm. uh, but something why I keep continue to run, I have to run. Mm -hmm. If I'm not all right, the boys aren't all right. Correct, yep. So, and I tell them that. Yeah. I do this to make your life better as well. It's not just for me. Yes. Uh, so, and it's, yeah, it's something they did drum into us in rehab right at in, in the beginning is you need you need to be all right yes like if you're not if you're running around doing everything for everybody else yes and you're not okay you're not going to be able to sustain that yes so running helps me sustain my life my life um, yeah. yeah there's there's a lot involved yeah, that's a, it's dedication and commitment. And I often use the term like mumming and running is not easy because, you know, I'm sleep deprived as it is, but I still get up early to go for my runs. Yeah. Uh, my girls, I feel now, it took me six months, about four years ago to train my family that when I left the house, the walls wouldn't implode, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had to train my family to be okay for the, 35 minutes that I would go to do five or six Ks, you know? Yeah. That took about six months of training. And then I started to get fitter and started to enjoy running as opposed to dreading it because I was a lot heavier and unfit. And then as I got better at running, I could go away for longer times and then they got used to it. And now it's the case that they come to me and say, oh, mommy, how long is your race today? And, you know, they enjoy my medals and they encourage me and they're proud of me. And I think, you know, Mine's four and my girls are four and, and eight. And so, you know, I'd want to be an inspiration for them through my personal sacrifices as well as my ability to provide um, food for them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're doing what what we were just talking about with, with Uncle Rob. Exactly. And it was funny because on the Gold Coast, obviously the race, um, but I had to get up at three in the morning and then I got back about, two o'clock in the afternoon by the time you know I'd caught up with people and had some lunch and whatever and everyone had missed me <laughs> and um, it's like you've been gone all day and I'm like I've just run a marathon leave me alone <laughs> it's, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's like our oh, mum's back now she can do everything and I'm like no I need to rest <laughs> yeah, where's dinner yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it never ends it never ends yeah it never ends so um, what's the at your aim in life for your three boys now? Uh if if <laughs> like I'm having a lot of it's I'm I'm in a difficult phase because the 14 and the 13 year old becoming teenagers. Mm. I've always said to people, I'm teaching them a way of life here, mm -hmm. and then they go to school and learn the complete opposite. Yes. Um so it's like I'm just um paddling uphill can you give me a, can you give me a for instance because that's a really insightful comment um so be yourself mm -hmm. you, you you don't need to pretend to be something you're not to fit in to the group of them kids at school okay yeah mm -hmm. um so when i see them out at school or in public they're not the same people that are at home here okay um the one that the people I see at home that's who they are yeah you know the caring loving genuine human beings yes that sit up and cuddle and and and, and just be yourself yes and it's an instant switch as soon as they step out that they walk differently yes 
can't even walk the same. Um, so you think they're modeling inauthentic behaviors that they're learning through peer pressure, social media, or what? Yeah, all of it. All of it mixed into one. I don't even know how to describe it, but even with device use, it's, I think it's a huge problem. Um, I don't have Wi-Fi. My boys don't have an Xbox. Um, the eldest has got a phone, which I'm thinking about taking off him. Mm -hmm. because I've noticed an instant change. Mm -hmm. um, then they go to school, everyone's got phones, everyone's on Xboxes. The, the schooling is done on a computer. Mm -hmm. So now I have to buy a device. They've all got laptops. They're just not allowed to use it when they walk back in the door. Okay. So, and people, some people look at me and go, that's extreme. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, come and have a look at my kids after they've been on, on a machine for three or four hours. Yeah. That's extreme. Yes. They don't talk or socialise. Yes. That to me, is extreme. Yes. Problems later will be extreme. Yes. Um, it's so foreign to me. Even growing up, we like, and I know times have changed, but it doesn't make it right. No. I've been battling a lot with that this year because I'm going to be 47 in a few weeks and I didn't have a phone until I was 22 and I'd finished uni. We didn't even have an email address, I think, until our last year of uni. And this, um, whilst I use social media and I use technology, I'm very, very mindful of the fact that I didn't have that growing up and we didn't have, I didn't have any of my peer group on anxiety medication or I didn't have any kids in my peer group who, you know, were suicidal, for instance. So I think, you know, as times have progressed, we've normalized things that are not healthy for us. Yeah. That's what, you know, says we should do. So like fair play to you. I think we have to, we have to draw the line somewhere where we say, okay, we can do that at school, but we don't need it all in our free time, or we can do that, you know, on the, at these times, but I think really as parents, we need to we need to set the standard with what we think is okay for our kids. And there are some kids that just can't handle that constant bombardment of stimulation, you know? Oh, it's... And not to mention the fact that they don't learn how to actually communicate with people. Yeah. Like it's when I watch them, it reminds me of addiction. Yes. Of my addiction. Yes. The way I would <coughs> And I didn't have what I what I my drug of choice. Yes. The come down. Yes. The withdrawals. Yes. Um, it's I just look back and it just frightens the hell out of me. Yeah. There's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, and it refers to social. It refers so all social media companies referred to their customers as users, and in right. that documentary yeah. they said there's only two industries that refer to customers as users. That's the drug industry and social media. It's the yeah. same. Like it's, oh, yeah. So like that's something that, and I and I say to the boys, I don't care what the kids at school are doing. Yes. They're not my kids. Yes. So how do you still be the cool dad and say no at the same time? Oh, you can't. No. You can't. So their mum's the cool mum where yeah. they go on the weekend and get to play the Xbox. Uh-huh. And then they come back to the strict dad who sends them to school every day and wants them. So it's, and I've explained this to the boys, you've got, you're going to have two options in life. The, what, the example I'm teaching you is hard. Yes. It's, it's hard to maintain. I'm, I'm struggling. Yes. To maintain the lifestyle I live. Yes. Um, or you can just sit around and do nothing and sit on a phone. Yes. Um, and, and just get a job where you're just ticking over life, but you're not living. Yes. Or, or you can do what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, to, to pretty much, I want to I wanna live my dreams. Yes. I want to live and do, go to work and, and love my job. And it's not about money. Life to me isn't about money. Yes. I, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want the fairy tale. Yes. 
And what it what is your dream? Do you want to share it, or is it too private? Oh, it's it's changed over the over the time. Yeah. Um, it's evolving. I would call it. Yeah. And it's evolving really quickly. So I've I've been sober for three and a half years, and at the start it was to get my kids. Yes. Yeah, I was to get sober first. Yeah. To get my kids. Yeah. Um, running wasn't even like running marathons wasn't a thing. Yeah. So it changed to let's run a marathon, but then it's changed to I'd like to go and run the Great Wall of China mm-hmm. marathon, um, the New York marathon. I'd like to go to Christchurch marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to run a sub three hour marathon. Mm-hmm. I'd like to run a 230. Mm-hmm. So these are dreams that people dream about but never try to get. Yeah. Yes. Um, but in my old life, I would never daydream about the life I've got now. Just wouldn't wouldn't have come into my thoughts. Um, Travelling overseas, never, never come into my thoughts. So running has started to <coughs> give me these opportunities yeah or self-belief yeah it can happen yeah um, and I want the boys to do it too I don't I don't want the boys to go I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being a carpenter or a chippy or an electrician or, or whatever but I want I don't want them just to go to work to get money yes like I, I want them to go to work and create create yeah, that's really interesting because last year I was guest speaker at a graduation for a school in Charters Towers and I said to the kids, you know, like when I was growing up, I didn't want to be something. I wanted to do stuff, you know. So all my life has been about going out and doing stuff and I have been fortunate to travel all over the world and to do a lot of really cool stuff. And um, and I think the concept of doing stuff as opposed to being something is more powerful because then you invite more opportunities, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think just encouraging the boys to want to do stuff because you can still be something, but if you just be that thing, you don't get to do a lot of other stuff. Do you know what I mean? And so it's almost like you can go and chase your profession or be your, you know, do the job you want to do, be that carpenter or be that house builder, but still aspire to do stuff you know, to have hobbies and to do other stuff as opposed to just your profession, which is ultimately ends up destroying your soul if you're not enjoying it anyway, right? That's right, yeah. Um, there was something I heard. I, lo- I listened to, like, podcasts and motivational videos. Um, old pe- Older fellas like Les Brown, um, Steve Harvey, Denzel Washington, and there was something in the video that I'll never forget, and it was about finding your purpose. So I never, no one's ever talked to me about what, what my purpose was yeah. growing up. Uh, what are we here for? What are we? Yeah. What were we born for? What were, were we created for? Yeah. Um, and I, and I do believe that we everybody is here for something. Yes. And it's finding what that is. Yeah. No, but you can't find what that is if you're working ten-hour days in a factory. Yes. Well, oh, no, you can, but it's so much harder. You have to honour it. So, yeah. and he says a trumpet on a a trumpet on a bench looks nice, but it's not doing what it it's not what its purpose is. Yes. Uh, the purpose of a trumpet is to be played. Yeah. So if it's sitting up as an ornament on a bench, it's not actually, it's not living its purpose. Yes. So I feel like I'm a pain, I was a painter by trade in before I went to before I give up the drugs and alcohol, and and I painted for a year, and I heard that that video, and I went the next day and, and give my two weeks notice. Right. Because painting wasn't my purpose. No. I would just walk in there and just hate what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Didn't enjoy it. Uh, it was just sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. And still go home, do my runs, look after my kids. Um, I sit down at nine o'clock at night and just 
for five minutes and just go, what, what, what is this? Yes. And then fall asleep because I'm completely exhausted. Yeah. And I have to get up and do it again. Yes. Which is, which we have to do to get to the, to the dream. Yes. But having that in your mind that this isn't forever, this yes. is a step to get to there. But yes. you need to know what there is. Yes. So I don't want the boys to follow the crowd and do what I did as a young fella. Um, I want them to, to figure out what they love to do and see if they can get paid for it one day. Yeah. Like, yeah. And if they, did, what do they, what are the things that they say to you that make you feel good about the, the impact that you're having on them? Uh, my eldest boy loves football, rugby league. Mm -hmm. um, he's, I've told him, because he, he, he's, he's mentioned to me, you're obsessed with running. And I said, I am, yeah. I said, that's, that's, I think you have to be. Yes. To get what you want, you gotta you gotta be obsessed with it. Um, to run to run a two-hour thirty marathon, you gotta be pretty obsessed. Oh, you gotta you gotta know everything there is to know and do everything there you need to do to get to, to be in the position to do that. Which is yeah. you need it takes obsession. Yeah. And um, he started to do that with his football. So he's telling me he's gonna buy me a house. He's gonna buy me a car. When he starts playing for the Broncos, mm -hmm. he's going to be the best fullback that's ever played. Um, and I'm like, yeah, go for it. Awesome. I believe you can do that. Yeah. So he's he carries that football everywhere. He actually sleeps with it. It's at the end of his bed. Yeah. He's, if he's not at school, he's kicking the footy. If, if he's not kicking it with me, he's kicking it with himself. Yeah. Um, he reads the game, he studies the game, he, he's creating plays in a notebook, like rugby league plays on the field. He's got a dream team. He watches every NRL game. And each week I've seen him out cross. He's got a list of names, players that play NRL. And every Monday afternoon he's out the back crossing out one or two names. Mm -hmm. I said, what are you doing there, boy? And he said, oh, they've lost their position. Uh -huh. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, old mate's playing better. Okay. Old mate played better this weekend, so he can fill that position better than that that guy. Okay. So cutting players and replacing them. And I just, in, I didn't let him know, but that just made my heart just glow. Yeah, that's awesome. So why the Broncos and not the Cowboys? Um, because I go for the Broncos. Okay. <laughs> but I'm from like well, I'm from the Gold Coast. So yes. back in the day there was no Titans, it was it was the Broncos. Yeah, uh, I remember very well. Uh, yeah, he follows Miley with the Bronx. Well, maybe we bring him down to Townsville and give him a taste of the Cowboys in the new stadium and see if you can't convert him. Well, it's up, it's up to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Because I was curious, actually, who's inspiring you now? Oh, I love Elliot Kipchoge. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just watching his videos. I watch his videos all the time and just a humble, kind and caring person mm -hmm. who's, who's trained himself to be the best he can be. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I that's what my aim is, is to see how how fast I can train my body to run 42 Ks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And have you looked into because you tell me you're 39, have you looked into any stats about the Fastest men in their forties. What I times? Have. Yeah, tell me. What are they? Um, there's not times. I actually typed in what's the oldest um, male to run in the Olympics, and I think he's 43. Yes, in the marathon. Um, in the marathon. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm, I've got four years. Yeah. <laughs> so we need, um, to, we need to find you some sponsors, I think. Well, it's, 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 I won't say, in my head I'm saying it's, it's not realistic. Yes. Uh, but I wouldn't tell the kids that. No. Um, because then I'm telling them that you can't get your dreams if you, you know, if I'm. Yeah, but wasn't the Aussie guy that came seventh in the marathon in um, Birmingham? He works full time, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. So when you read things like when I read things like that, I'm like, yeah, this is you know, it's not just me out there. Like I'm not at his level or anywhere near it, but our lives are similar. Yes. Um, to find time to train and energy. Yes. It's like as you know, it's it, and raise kids by yourself. It's it's. To battle, yeah. Um, but once, once I've, I make a decision on something, I that's it. Yeah. Like I, I just find a way. Yeah. If something doesn't work. I change it until I get <laughs> make it work. Well, I have heard um, something, and I don't know if it's true or not. You can tell me. Um, people with addictive tendencies, which obviously you had for drugs and alcohol, often find other things to be addicted to. So would you say you're addicted to running? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. If, if I have a day off each week and it's hard that day. Yeah. Like I'm just, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, fully addicted. I, I think when I get, I've been injured once and, I, and it, I went for like two weeks without running and. Yeah, that was probably the worst yeah. mental mental state I've been in yeah. in my whole recovery. Yeah. Um, and do you still go to AA meetings weekly, or what do you, what contact do you have now with the rehab people? Um, I, I, I still drop into the rehab. I actually every <coughs> six months I I go in there and have a yarn mm -hmm. with the residents um, about my story, and hopefully they can take something out of that. To, to use in their recovery, yeah, um, because the rates are so low for recover for recovery, especially from ice. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's three percent, and not not many make it. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I, I still go in there and I have yarns with the with the support staff. I have yarns with the residents. Um, one day I'd like to work in that area um, a bit more, even if it's just voluntary, um, because it's something I, when I sit with the mob and yarn, I, that's when I feel real comfortable. That's like running for me. Yes. When I'm sitting with addicts, having real conversations about recovery. Yes. I'm free. I'm free. Yes. Because they're my people. Mm-hmm. They understand me. I don't even, I can just look at them and start a sentence and they know, I can see they know mm -hmm. or they finish my sentence for me. So, yeah, it's something, something I'll sort of get more involved in maybe when the kids leave. Like I've got all these ideas and, and things, but I have to be patient with them. Yeah. Because the kids are a huge time, like, I can't fit anything else in. No, parenting is a full-time job for one child, and when you've got three child children, it's three full-time jobs. Yeah, and it's um, I, I always worry about the boys. Um, what what's going to happen to them? And I've I'm I'm starting to try and not not let go, but let put it in the hands of of life. Yes. Um, because I can't take responsibility for what happens to them. No, but, but the, the challenge with the word worry is that it's quite a debilitating word. Like it can make you anxious when you worry. So oh, I yeah. invite you to change that word from worry to wonder. And you can say, I wonder what the boys will do with their life because wonder is a far more powerful word for purpose-driven thinking than worrying. Do you know what I mean? So you could wake up each day thinking, I wonder what's going to happen today as opposed to thinking I'm worrying about what's going to happen today. All right, I'm going to use that. 
So when I drop my kids off at school and they've usually screamed at me for three hours and I feel like I want to tear my hair out, I drive out the school gate and I stop at the first set of traffic lights and I say to myself, I wonder what's going to happen today. And then literally I feel everything left behind me at those lights when it goes green. I can drive off with a new mindset for the day, you know? Oh, awesome. Yeah. I leave all that anxiety at that red traffic light. Yeah, yeah. And they're things I've got to definitely... I procrastinate a lot. There's definitely a lot more I could be doing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's easy just to sit down and zone out. Yeah. Um, I'll even just – I'll watch a lot of running videos, but I don't need to. There's other things I could be doing. Yeah. So it's – I've got to get get up and go to that next level. Um but I'm enjoy I am enjoying it. Um, there is um, them hard times, but the good moments are worth it, I reckon. Yeah, I'm really excited about seeing you in Melbourne for our next marathon. Are you excited about Melbourne? I am. Um, I, I, my running to me now, I, I'm going to reset myself next year because it's become so time driven and goal-driven, I've forgotten what I started for. Yeah. Um, you know, finishing the Gold Coast, I was, I was so disappointed. Mm-hmm. And because I know I'm capable of more. Yeah. But my body's just not ready yet. Yeah. So patience is another big word. Yes. And just enjoy, yeah, enjoying, the, enjoying what, I, what I started for. Yeah. And that was just that freedom. So <laughs> I think the challenge is after you've done them, you start to put expectations on yourself, you know. Yeah. When, you, when you have a setback, you don't achieve what you think you're capable of. It's very easy to get disappointed. And then you go into the next one, and up pulling more pressure on yourself and more pressure on yourself, you know. And I yeah. have to remind myself that I'm 46-year-old mother of two small kids and I've had two cesarean sections. And when... Other women are running past me this way and I'm trying to guess their age. <laughs> I've seen all these young women sprinting past me. I'm going, Chrissy, just stay in your lane. You're not, a, they're on a different journey to you. They don't know, you know. So I think it's just really about honouring your own personal journey when you're running, you know, and like just forgetting about all the expectations because I know that I, I performed so well in Mackay because I had no expectations. I'd never done an official half marathon before. And then I went into the Gold Coast with a little bit of expectation and a bit of anxiety because I'd never done a full marathon before. Now I know I'm capable of doing both, um, but it's like almost thinking to myself, okay, you're doing Melbourne for fun. You're not going there to break any records. You're going there to connect with people that you care about. You're going there to prove to yourself that you're capable of running two marathons in two in one year, in six months, you know, and just go there and, and enjoy the process, you know, and then I just take the pressure away from myself because the only person that's going to suffer is me. Yeah, yeah. And that's no one right. will really care what time I do at the end of the day. They'll just be happy for me to come home with a medal and a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to remember the time five minutes later. No. Um, yeah, definitely, 100%. But if but you've done seven, I, Melbourne will be your eighth marathon in two years. It will, yeah. That's a lot, mate. Um, I think I'm overdoing it, but we'll, yeah, like I'm going to, like I said, I'll scale back next year. Might just do one a year. Yeah. And I enjoy the, I enjoy the process and the training more than, than the race. Yeah. Like just them little things. It's so interesting how you can train the body. Yeah. Yes, like it's with, true. With your little sessions, your, your speed. So now when I'm running, I'm running with purpose. I know exactly what each run does. Yeah. And I've I've got to be accountable. Yeah. Because if I'm not if I'm not pushing 80% in a speed session, I'm not evolving. The yes. body's not going to adapt as, as good as it could. Yeah. But when I finish a run, I want to be <laughs> If it's a speed session, I want to be buggered. Yeah. And I know I've done everything I can do to become a better runner. Yeah. 
And then the next day is a recovery and it's nice and slow. That's when I do my thinking. Yeah. And I don't need to, it's, it's not so full on. Yeah. It's more of a relaxing run, but it has a purpose. Yeah. The recovery run is, is for recovery. Yeah. To absorb that hard one yesterday. Yeah. And it's, it just feels good. You know, you like I'm transforming. Yeah. Well, and it's true and your your um goals have evolved but your purpose will continue to evolve so it's never a stagnant thing you know and I think that's what's beautiful now we live longer I was just chatting with my friend before and she said that you know when she did her first marathon in 2012 she was running next to an 80 year old man and he was encouraging her the whole way <laughs> I thought, isn't that just beautiful you know oh, it's so, awesome it's awesome. So I think that you're going to achieve whatever purpose you decide you want. I'm sure that you're going to get a sponsor to pay for your first international marathon. Well, we'll see. You've said it now, so the universe. Right, so well, we'll do some joint manifesting of that. So that'll yeah. be good. Um, and thanks so much. I can't wait to see you and your lovely sister in Melbourne. We're going to have some big high fives on the on the route and we're going to be finishing in the mcg it's, it'll be epic oh can't wait good thanks for joining me today i'm really proud of you i know there's a lot of people that are really proud of you and i think just remember on your hard days you're not alone okay yeah thanks chrissy all right thank you so much brendan see you soon see ya